Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit AuditBoard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Today we have Charles Schrock, aka Bud Schrock on the show. Bud is the Chief Audit Executive at Inland Bank and Trust, and he has over 40 years of experience in the audit profession. He also won the 2006 William S. Smith Award. For those that don't know, the William S. Smith Award goes to the folks that score the highest score on the CIA. So we have 40 years of experience, over 40 years of experience, plus uh, someone obviously very intelligent in winning the William S. Smith Award. So when you have a lot of experience and a lot of intelligence, those are typically the people that I like to listen to. And so we're very thankful to have had Bud on the show. A couple of things that we talk about as Bud is nearing the end of his career, we ask what advice he would give auditors. Uh, Bud also said he likes to coach young auditors. So I asked him, what is it that you tell young auditors that you coach? And then since Bud won the William S. Smith Award, makes perfect sense to ask okay um any advice that you have for folks studying for the cia and we also talk about what what bud cares about as an audit leader and then what he disagrees with in the profession so very interesting conversation um bud is also working on a project um it's called obvious.com uh o-b-v-i yus.com there will be a link in the show notes below and to read a, a quick sentence from there kind of about the the mission of obvious or the obvious project is if you or your team can do x obvious is about developing and sharing ideas and practices to help you do 5x or 100x so interesting website there also go check it out and here we go uh, what I wanted to ask you was advice that you would give auditors as you near the end of your auditing career. What advice would you give to to auditors? Well, I think the uh, the biggest thing is that it, you know it really doesn't change. Uh, everything that seems new isn't new. Uh, people have been doing the right things for a long time. I, I think that the biggest advice I will give anybody is just to understand what it is you're auditing. Mm -hmm. It's not about following checklists, although when I was 20 years old, a lot of people thought it was, but it wasn't. Uh, and it's still not about following checklists. It's, it's really about understanding the business, uh, getting to know people, understanding the objectives and strategies of the area that you're auditing. And so how do we do that outside of just like Googling whatever it is, you know, whatever it is that we're looking at? What would you recommend people do? Well, I think Googling it is a good start. Uh, I, you know, there's a lot of information out there that you, you know, if you Google things like, you know, what is the risk in accounts payable? 
I'm sure that you can find hundreds, if not many more uh, people who want to tell you about that. So you can get a pretty good idea. Um, but, you know, the biggest thing that I found is to sit down and talk with people. Um, you know, I, I've never pretended to be more knowledgeable about someone else's job than they are. I've never pretended to be the smartest guy in the room when it comes to, you know, asking about what other people do for a living. The presumption should always be that, that they know a lot more than I do. and I'm here to learn. Now, I may have some insights along the way that, that you know, I might ask them that they don't think about on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, that's part of my job is to step back and ask them about uh, not, all, not just what they do, but why they do it. So sometimes the question about, well, why do you do that? Even though I may not understand, it, it can cause a discussion that's very valuable to them and to me. Yeah. Do you have like an opening line when you would go into like you're kicking off an audit? I, a lot of times I would start with that, especially being in IT because you can't be an expert. I mean, there's... You can't even be an expert in SAP. Like that doesn't exist. You can know a whole lot about it, but you're not going to be an expert in every facet of it. And so like, I would often kick off meetings like that, especially IT saying, look, I can't be an expert in all these areas. I understand that, that you are, I'm going to ask some questions that you might think are dumb. Um, but there's just, there's no way for me to know everything. And so, you know, I'm asking this from my perspective uh, as internal audit, uh, you know, and just kind of, kind of go from there just to tee it up. Because I know a lot of times, the auditee looks at us and goes, that's a dumb question. So I just, I try to address that on the, on the front end. Is there, do you have like a, that was, that was like my spiel, you know, when I would go into, do you, did you, do you have an opening spiel or like a script like that or? Well, pretty much exactly what you said. Uh, you know, I learned that the biggest way to get in trouble as an auditor is to pretend, you know, things that you don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think what you just described is excellent advice all the way around. I do the same thing often. Uh, even when I have expertise, even when I may have know a lot more about their job than me, I still think it's better to recognize their responsibility uh, to execute it because it's not my responsibility. I may know about it. I may know a lot more about the textbook side, but they have the day-to-day -day responsibility and that's to be respected. Uh, so I think it's important to give them an opportunity to talk about what they do and why they do it uh, and, and exactly along those lines. That, you know, I'm not an expert. I may have a general understanding but, you know, I need to hear it from you because you deal with this day to day. You understand the culture that you're working within mm -hmm. as you're trying to execute those responsibilities. Yeah, I think the culture piece is that's that's something I'm going to take away from this. I hadn't thought about that, thinking about it in terms of that uh, and, and, and like adding the culture piece to my spiel. So that was I like that piece a lot. So before the show, we were talking about how you one of the things you enjoy about the profession is coaching young auditors and kind of and mentoring them and coaching them. What is it that you tell them? Uh, what is it, what's important that you tell them? Well, I think there, there's a couple of things. First off is uh, I think a lot of young people need to understand that they are smart enough to understand anything that's explained to them. Uh, so if somebody's explaining things in, in ways that, that you're not following, uh, that's not your fault. Uh, you know, those of us that have been doing it for 40 years would not understand what they're saying either. So, uh, you know, step number one, is to, I think, uh, understand that you can understand this. Uh, and, and if somebody's you know, giving you an explanation that's not there, just keep asking them to you know, go into it differently. Say it a different way. Yeah. So are you saying that you know, this or that, uh, but don't feel bad if you don't understand it. That's not your fault, that's theirs. And, and part of our job as, as an auditor is to keep working on that until it's in a way that an ordinary person can understand it. Um, and then the second advice I think I would give is um, 
to walk in with some general information of what you would expect to see. And this is where the research, online research, even if it's just in high level terms, uh, you know, if you're auditing an area, say accounts payable, you know, you, you can get a very basic understanding right away, right? That, that the, whole, the whole point is to pay bills and to pay them promptly and pay only the correct bills, um, you know, and, and to reconcile the money as it goes out. I mean, these are things that you can find out within a few seconds of doing some online research. So if you go in with that general expectation of understanding what the department should be doing, mm-hmm. you know, it's pretty easy when you hear things that, that are contrary. So, you know, if you go in and, and, and you say, well, one of the expectations is that things should be authorized. So how do they authorize it? Uh, well, we authorize virtually everything. Uh, wait, virtually everything? I was sort of expecting to hear the word everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that might be an area where you can align what you expect to hear with what you are hearing. Yeah. And to your first point about like, okay, somebody explained something to you, you don't quite get it. Maybe they use a technical term, which is usually the case, uh, technical. And I don't mean it, I mean, technical to, you know, their day to day, um, even in just business operations. But someone told, taught me very early on, like within the first year of my career, the question of help me understand. And I use that constantly. So that, that's just kind of a a tip that, that I was given that I want to pass on to the listeners is, you know, if you don't understand it, simply say, you know, can you help me understand what you meant by whatever, whatever, whatever? Uh, and then they'll go into it some more. Uh, there's a whole kind of list of good questions like that, that, that people can ask. We talked about um, you're kind of nearing the end of this chapter of your career and, and moving on. And I don't know if coaching young auditors is something that you've considered uh, post-retirement, but the advice that you've given so far, if you, if, I wish I would have had that 15 years ago when I started, because it's the things that just crippled me. Um, I wouldn't ask additional questions because I didn't know what to ask. I didn't want to sound dumb when I asked a question. So I would just take notes and then be like, okay, I could probably Google that when I get back to the office and figure out what they actually meant by that. So again, I don't know if that's, that's something you've thought about, but um, if, if you do, I will send people to you because it, I think you would be fantastic at it. It actually is. Uh... My sister is a retired college professor. So I think, you know, teaching and coaching kind of runs in our family a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of the way we're wired. Um, so actually, that is an area where I'm, I'm considering how best to uh, share that and give back to, you know, others uh, okay. over the next number of years. Yeah. And, and we were talking earlier and talking about sharing uh, your advice and your guidance. Someone literally today sent me a message that said, I would love it if you had somebody on the podcast. I'm studying for the CIA. It's, you know, it's difficult. It's overwhelming. I'd love it if you had someone that could talk about the ins and outs of the the CIA and how to prepare and all those kinds of things. And, you know, I was looking over your profile on LinkedIn and you won an award uh, for one of the highest scores on the CIA, I think back in 2006. So I thought this is pretty good timing. (laughs) I literally went back and just updated the, some of the topics that we're going to talk about. Uh, so for, for his benefit and others that are studying for it or going to eventually, what advice would you give uh, for studying for the CIA? Well, um, so my experience could be a little bit different because I was in my 50s, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously I had a fair background of experience. Uh, and that, that for some exams, that's a good thing. For other exams, that's probably a bad thing uh, to actually have experience mm-hmm. in the area. Uh, for the CIA exam, it actually was very helpful for me. I've been blessed there, you know, taking, taking an exam is a skill in and of itself. 
right? When, when, when you have a multiple choice and, and you're good at exams, you could sort of easily see why three of the four answers aren't, aren't the right ones. So, you know, the, it helps to work on that skill just in taking exams. But I will also say it was very helpful to have practical experience. I mean, there were certain just terminologies and, and, and you know, other things that you recognize from real world experience that, that probably was what the question writer had in mind mm-hmm. when they wrote the question. Yeah. Um, so there is some advantage to that. Um, I, I guess I might recommend that you get a little bit of experience, uh, you know, rather than take it uh, as a purely academic one. And I differentiate that because for, you know, some of your listeners, they may be considering the CPA exam as well, because that's not uncommon for auditors. Uh, CPA exam, in my experience, was highly academic. I mean, it was, it was stuff to memorize. It was, uh, you know, not, not necessarily a lot of practical stuff that you're going to get, stuff you have to learn for that exam. Uh, whereas for me, when I took the CIA exam, it was a lot more of a, a practical experience. But when I sat down and studied for it, you know, I, I got back in that mode again, first off, of, of recognizing what exam questions are and how they are often praised. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, the experience came into play. I was thinking about, so I'm not a CIA, I'm a CISA. And I know like it is, there is still some like academia to it. And what I mean by that is they ask a question and I go, okay, this is like the actual answer or this is the way it should be. But I know based on studying that this is the answer that they're looking for. And so yeah. I don't, you know, I didn't agree necessarily with, with the answer. Hey everyone, thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We want to say thank you again to our sponsors over at Audit Board, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. Audit Board's integrated suite of easy to use audit risk and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with Audit Board's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see Audit Board's award-winning platform in action today. So as a, an experienced audit leader, I've, I've been curious a lot lately about the, the mindset of an audit leader um, and what they really care about. And so it's easy, it, it's not easy, but it's, it's easy to see that like we misunderstand what, what the, the folks at the very top kind of, you know, really actually care about, you know, especially if in your day to day, you think, okay, it's about making sure uh, they care about the, uh, that I tested this thing like perfectly or something, which is important. I'm not saying that it's not, but I'm just, I've just been interested in what audit leaders really care about. So what is it like as an audit leader, what is it that you really care about? And what do you feel like you're metriced on or measured against as a successful audit leader? Okay. Um, first off, I do care about budgets, um, but not much. Uh, I, I care about making a difference um, mm. to the to the industry or not to the industry, but to my company, right? Mm. I, I, I care about change for the better constantly, right? We, we need to be constantly getting better as an organization. Uh, I think the role of auditing is primarily uh, the opportunity to step back from the day-to-day and to re-ask those questions about, uh, well, why, is, why is this our strategy? Why are we approaching it this way rather than that way? Um, I, I think that that's where we provide value. Now, in terms of how I'm measured, uh, you know, this may sound kind of political, but, but I think one of the, the strongest ways I'm measured is 
whether I'm satisfying the needs of the audit committee. Uh, so I, I, you know, there, there can be audit committees that care all about budget and expenses and number of reports and number of findings. Uh, that's not my audit committee. My audit committee is about you know, helping to assure that, that the recommendations that, that I bring forth are valuable to the organization, that they can clearly see that it's not about, a, you know, it's not about a report that says that four out of 15 things weren't initial properly. Uh, you know, they really don't care. I mean, I care a little bit, but I care about it only within a much larger context. Yeah. What does it mean when we're not checking those things? What else are we not checking? Uh, so it's a larger context. But you know, I'm, I'm evaluated on, on whether, uh, say for instance, an external auditor or an examiner, I'm in the banking industry, so we have examiners, right? Uh, just to make something up, if the examiner comes in and says, uh, I've got an IT recommendation that, that you should be doing more of this or that. Uh, and in fact, it's been in my audit reports for the past two years. That makes my audit committee feel pretty good that we're on top of things, you know, that, we're, that maybe we're a little bit ahead of the curve. Um, so you know, those are the things that are important to me is to, is to be making a difference in real and meaningful ways and to building the relationships because making the difference doesn't always come as a result of an auto report. Often it's a, it's a part of personal relationships. Um, you know, sometimes you can find an audit finding and, and get a commitment to have it resolved within two minutes without ever writing a report. I mean, you're just sitting in, an, you're sitting in maybe the initial meeting and you're having a discussion with the head of a department and they say, uh, you know, I do things this way and that way. And I say, oh, okay, are those approved all the time? I mean, it, when I go in and look at it, am I going to see 100% approval? They say, well, because of COVID, you know, we're a little behind. So mm -hmm. it may be, uh, you know, 20 or 30 business days before we get around to actually, you know, getting in and doing that. So, okay, that's good to know. How do you feel about that? Well, I don't feel really good about that. Said, so do you want to make some changes? Yeah, you know, I think I really need to have Sam focus on that every morning at 9 a.m. I'm going to, I'm going to have him start. So, you know, there you go. You, you, you've made a, a change that could be useful uh, without ever having to spend more than two minutes on it. I'm, you know, I make the notes and, and I may follow up in a memo later to say, oh, and just so you don't forget, one of the things we discussed was boom, 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 boom. But it doesn't necessarily have to end up in an auto report. Yeah. Uh, when you started with that, you said, I do care about the budget or, or, or something to that effect and kind of laugh. What, what did you mean by that? Well, I mean, you know, money is, is something, right? Uh, uh, in my audit shop, all of my IT work is outsourced. So, I mean, it's real money. It's not just, it's just not my people allocating their time. It's, it's you know, it's real money. Either we get it done or we don't uh, based on the dollars that we spend. Uh, plus, you know, budget is not important in and of itself, but budget is an indicator uh, of whether or not we're spending our time on the right things. Um, so if somebody goes, you know, 20%, 100% over budget, uh, I don't necessarily have a problem with that as long as it was done for the right reasons. Gotcha. Um, so that's why I, I probably smiled a little bit when I talked okay. about that. Yeah. And I don't think anybody does if it's communicated throughout, you know, hey, I'm, you know, I've, I've spent 50% of the budget. I think it's going to take X amount of hours more because of X, Y, and Z. I don't think any competent leader uh, or, or empathetic leader or understanding leader, I don't know the, the right word I'm looking for there, but um, is going to say, well, I don't care. You got 50 more hours to get it done and give me, you know, give me the report or maybe there are, I don't know. Do you feel like there, there's, I guess there's. Oh, I'm sure there are. Says those people are out there. Yeah, I guess so. That's yeah, I'm sure there are. I, I think that there are in my experience of, of meeting other chief audit executives, 
Um, I, I think that there are basically two kinds of, you know, if you, if you draw the, the extremes, like on one extreme is the professional bureaucrat uh, chief audit executive, and that's what they care about, right? And, and those are the metrics they report. And on the other extreme is the, the sort of laissez-faire, let's talk about things, let's get things fixed. Hey, you know, I'm really sort of the, the CEO's eyes and ears. Uh, that that's what I do. I happen to I happen to have audit available to me as a tool, mm-hmm. but I really sort of think of myself as a CEO. So you know, we all have to just probably somewhere in that in that realm. But there are certainly people that I've run into, uh, even chief audit executives that I've met, where you know they've asked like, could I get them an audit checklist for this topic or that topic? And I just you know go I just sort of slap my forehead and go really. <laughs> Awesome. Throughout your experience in audit, what is it that you, that maybe the the first thing that comes to mind or top of mind that you, that you disagree with within the profession? I think that the biggest thing in my experience has been the lack of delineation between advisory and insurance. Um, From a lot of what I read in the industry and the profession, uh, you know, people talk about their uh, assurance role and, and that they should do more advisory and it's just never really been my experience. Uh, the assurance is, is so limited. Uh, and maybe it's the industry I'm in and banking. I, I'm not sure because that's the only industry I've been in. But, you know, the, the assurance role is so small, relatively speaking, that I probably spend 90% of my time in advisory. Mm. Um, now, I back that up with certain assurance stuff. But that, is, that, that just always has felt so trivial to me. That, that, that uh, I, I guess maybe it's just my natural bent that, that I look at things more as, as helping to run the business than I am at, you know, looking for problems that need to get, you know, resolved in an audit report. Yeah. That's interesting because I think it's from folks I talk to, it's the other way around. It's 90% assurance and 10% advisory. My thought relative to that topic is that as a chief audit executive, we have such freedom that uh, people not only don't know what we do day to day, most executives don't want to know what we do day to day. Um, they only, so my experience had been in the past that if I were to switch up my auto reports from, uh, you know, a delineation that I reviewed 30 of these and found three exceptions, or I reviewed 40 of those and found two exceptions. If I were to cause that to go away and instead to talk about the general control environment and how, you know, the particular strategy that they have may be enhanced if they do this rather than that, I can't imagine any possible pushback. From an executive. Um, so I guess my experience has always been, I've never felt that I needed to go talk about it. I just did it. Yeah. Um, so just a thought. No, that's interesting. Uh, I hadn't really thought about it like that, but yeah, I don't think they would know the difference, you know, especially if they're just seeing, you know, if they're looking at the other report and they go, um, okay, thank you. You know, like legitimately, thank you. I guess, you know, who cares what, you know, how, what it's called. In my auto reports, uh, about the only time I look at or I, that I present assurance information is when it's strong evidence that a particular strategy is working. So everything is couched in strategy, right? I, you know, if something isn't, uh, if, if they're not doing it six out of 40 times, uh, you know, who cares, right? I mean, I care, but I care because of a context. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I guess I've always sort of approached it that way. And when you do that, you really are moving into the advisory role because when you're talking about what does it mean, now you're evaluating their strategy and their mm-hmm. particular practices. And, not, and it's not about assurance so much anymore. 
All right, but is there anything that you want to leave the audience with? Well, I think the the thing that occurs to me after all these years is how much we spend, how much effort we spend complicating things. It shouldn't be so complicated. Uh, risk management is one that's, that, that a lot of people talk about. And, and that's one area that's, that I think has been way, way overcomplicated for the vast majority of people. Um, I think that there is certainly a role for quantification, a very important role. When there's data available, when it suits things uh, correctly, quantification is extremely important. But for 95% of managers out there, um, quantification really isn't, isn't where they're going to get the most bang for the buck. Uh, I think that uh, you know, risk management is, is an area where it, it's a critical management skill in the same sense that managing teams of people is a critical, manage, is a critical management skill. Risk management is one of those, right? Because, because what it really comes down to is developing good strategies and then understanding that when your strategy is a little off the mark, that it's time to um, rein it back in and see how to get it back toward, uh, you know, pointing towards your goals. So I think for the vast majority of people, I think there's a lot of training that goes on uh, that, that should be going on to make it a core competency of the organization uh, rather than uh, something that risk professionals do, uh, that it's all about numbers. Again, there's a role for that, uh, but I don't think that that's the relevant role for most people. Um, so along those lines, as I'm moving out of uh, working full-time uh, at my age, I I'm, I'm moving toward trying to bring that concept to more broadly uh, to the business world. And to, well, the non-business world as well. So I started something called the Obvious Project. Uh, you can Google that at your convenience or just you know, uh, search for that. It's theobviousproject.com. Uh, and it's really all about bringing four concepts to bear more broadly in, into making effective teams. And, the, and those four ideas are to uh, focus on simplicity, uh, completeness, uh, practicality, and sustainability. Um, so I think if you do those four things, that there's a, there are a lot of ways to build those into how we run our teams, how we manage risk. Um, I just, it's, it's just such a broad concept. I think it's really important. So that's where I really I'm going now is to, uh, you know, pick out a number of areas where I can bring that, you know, to the organizations uh, around the world, just more broadly. You know, what, is it, what does that mean? Why is it important? Why is it not something to be feared? Uh, obviously, because of my background, how do we bring that to an audit so that auditors can bring those concepts, you know, to their auditees? Because uh, I think it'll make a big difference, and and that's kind of where I'm going at right now. Okay, and we'll add a we'll add a link in the show notes, theobviousproject.com, so people can check that out. Your kind of definition or high level definition of uh, risk management was probably the best one that I've ever heard, and like just light bulbs started going off. So I, I appreciate your. Uh, perspective on that and uh, appreciate your time but thanks a ton for coming on hey you're very welcome my pleasure hey everyone thank you very much for listening to this episode of the audit podcast whatever platform you're listening on right now i'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere so please hit the subscribe button there if you're listening through itunes or spotify feel free to go give us that five star rating it only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five star review and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show. So we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from The Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.